Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our host, Steve Butler. On today's program, our series entitled, The Second Coming Versus the Rapture, as he opens God's Word to study the difference between the rapture and the second coming. It's time to explore Bible prophecy. Hello and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. Glad you could be with us today. We are in this program continuing our study, our exploration, if you will, of the scriptures, dealing with the point that Jesus appears to church age believers only when he comes for his church at the event called the rapture of the church. And if you've been following along with us, you know that we are uh, several programs into looking at the differences between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ with the church to set up his millennial kingdom here on the earth for a thousand years. And uh, if you've been with us, perhaps uh, even from the beginning of this particular series that we're in, that you know that there are many, many verses that deal with uh, a number of differences between those two events. And that is uh, one of the misunderstood aspects of Bible prophecy is the rapture of the church and even whether or not it's a real event, which of course the Bible uh, clearly teaches that it is, and that it happens uh, before the tribulation. That of course is a debated point, but I believe the Bible's very clear that we are saved from wrath. And if you've been with us, you know that we've gone over a number of scriptures uh, to tell us that we will not be part of the tribulation, the wrath of God that's um, poured out against the world and particularly against Israel, because we know from Bible scripture that uh, the wife of God is Israel, and he wants nothing more than to bring his uh, wife to a saving knowledge of, of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And they, she's been very hard-headed about it for thousands of years uh, particularly over the last 2,000 years uh, of what's called the age of the church since Pentecost back in Acts chapter 2 that we've discussed uh, a number of times here, that um, this hard-headed uh, wife of his will come to a saving knowledge, but it's going to take a brutal, brutal time, particularly in the second half of the tribulation called the time of Jacob's trouble, excuse me, the time of Jacob's trouble when um, the focus of God's wrath is uh, principally on Israel, but the result of that is to bring uh, Israel to a saving knowledge such that when uh, the Israelites who pass the judgment of, of Christ uh, at his second coming, when those who pass it uh, enter into Israel, into their promised land in the Middle East, that uh, Romans 11, chapter 25 will be realized that says that all Israel will be saved. So we are looking here, and, and by the way, I should point out uh, that the, uh, through the graciousness of this radio station, uh, WHCB, that they have provided uh, the, a handout, which is a uh, copy of the uh, series that we're going through here on the difference between the rapture and the second coming. And that, uh, with that, you can uh, follow along and see all the scriptures that I use to make the various points here. So if you go to whcbradio.org, whcbradio.org, and go to the Exploring Bible Prophecy area, you can find that and you can um, get a copy of it. 
So I, um, I pray that you do that because it is a, um, a good way to keep up with the many scriptures that we're going through. And as I said, we're in point number five. Point number five, Jesus appears to church-age believers only. And over the last several programs, we've been uh, covering the points that not only does Jesus appear just to the church-age believers at the rapture, but he only appears to believers when he comes back um, in his glorified body after his death, burial, and resurrection uh, at the end of his ministry here on the earth. He comes back on the earth for 40 days, and he appears to the brethren. And we've been going over a number of scriptures to make that point, and we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 5 through 8, where we left off in our last program. So let's go ahead and jump into that. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 5 through 8, and he appeared to Cephas Peter, and this is right after his resurrection. And again, just to make the point clear in context, that the first um, four verses of 1 Corinthians 15 is the most succinct, clear pronouncement of the gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere in the Bible. So if somebody says, what is the gospel? What is the good news, which is what gospel means? Take them to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, and just read that. But Paul goes further in his letter to the Corinthians here, and therefore his letter to us, that if you are a um, questioning person, you know, how do I know that this gospel is true? Well, Paul goes right into explaining it by telling you who saw him in his resurrected body. And that's the point we want to make here. People saw him. A lot of people saw him, but it was only the people that believed in him. Only the people that believed in him. And we see that here starting in verse 5. It says, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the 12 apostles. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren. You can say 500 believers at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. The point there being that when Paul wrote the letter to the Corinthians, Jesus had gone back to heaven over 20 years ago. I don't have the specific number in front of me here, but it was well over 20 years before. So he makes the point that most of whom, whom who saw Jesus during those 40 days in his glorified body are alive, but some have fallen asleep. And again, you know from uh, past programs and other series that somebody who has fallen asleep in the Lord means that they were a Christian when they died and that they will be resurrected um, depending on when they died, whether it'll be in the rapture of the church, uh, which is from Pentecost until the rapture, or if they died before that, they'll, they'll be resurrected into glorified bodies at the uh, second coming of Christ after the tribulation. We've, we've been over that a number of times. So we uh, move on to ch to First uh, Corinthians fifteen chapter uh, chapter fifteen verse seven. Then he appeared to James, and James, of course, was his half brother. They had the common uh, mother uh, Mary, but James, of course, was the son of Joseph. He appeared to James, and then to all the apostles again. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. And, of course, we know from, from Acts and, and other places that Paul um, was a persecutor of the church. In fact, he describes himself. In fact, let's just read that, verse 9. 
For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So there were several years, I want to say approximately four to five years after Christ um, was um, resurrected and glorified back to heaven that um, Saul, the persecutor of the church, became Paul, the great apostle, and saw Christ uh, interfaced with Christ on the road to Damascus in what, was, what we call the Damascus Road experience, and then was taken into the wilderness. And it, I, I, I think based on the script, the description of um, Arabia, that it's back down to Sinai. He actually went back down to where Moses gave the Ten Commandments to the Israelites and was taught by Christ for three years. So <laughs> you can't have any better teacher than that. So he also uh, can be considered an apostle, one of those that actually uh, was with Christ. And that's the definition of the true apostle. So we see that uh, the point being made here and going to 1 Corinthians 15, 5 through um, 8, is that Jesus appeared in his glorified body only to those who believed in him, that those who did not could not see him. And of course, we made that point earlier in a prior program in Luke chapter 24 when he was talking to the um, two men on the road to Emmaus, who when he came among them the day of his uh, resurrection, and they were crestfallen, if you will, and walking back home the some seven miles from Jerusalem to the town of Emmaus. And he walked along with them, and they didn't recognize him. Clearly says that in Luke 24. And then they invite him to, uh, to have bread with them, to have supper with them. And he sits down with them and breaks bread with them. And at that moment, it says, the two men's eyes were open to see who he was. So there was a man sitting there. There was a man walking with them beforehand. And now a man sitting there with them that they didn't recognize. Now they had been to Jerusalem. They knew who Jesus was. They had gone through, they were, they were one of those that was expecting him to rise on the third day. And they were all upset and saddened because they had not seen him. Well, here he was sitting at the table with them, but not until he broke the bread and blessed it did it say that their eyes were opened. And at that very moment that their eyes were opened, he vanished because just as uh, we see with... Um, the Ethiopian eunuch, when he had been given the, uh, the message, the individual given the message, disappeared because God had work for him to do somewhere else in Israel. The same thing here with uh, Jesus sitting at the table with the two men in Emmaus. He had other people that he needed to interface with, and that's what we talk about um, starting in today's program as we turn to John chapter 20. So if you would... Let's, uh, let's get into today's scripture. And again, if you're following along with us uh, with the handout at whcbradio.org under the um, Exploring Bible Prophecy heading, you can find that we're in point number five, and we're about halfway down that long list, uh, long list of scriptures at John chapter 20. And if you turn there with me in your Bible, it's the last of the four books of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. And towards the end of the book of John, in John chapter 20, and uh, we're looking at verse 26. 
And it says, uh, after eight days, starting in verse 26 of John 20, after eight days, his disciples were again inside. Now, you recall from a prior program we talked about uh, in John, uh, as well as in Luke, where they were inside. Remember they, uh, the day of his resurrection, they did not see him. They became afraid. They went into a room together and locked the door for fear that either the Jewish leadership or the Roman government through the Roman soldiers would come, get them, arrest them, and even possibly crucify them. So these guys were scared. And, and just a side note here about being in this room and being scared. Who are these men? Who are these men? In fact, they say men and women because we see there's Mary, Mary Magdalene. There were several women that were part of his uh, entourage, if you will, um, throughout uh, a good part of his ministry. But the point I wanted to make here is who are these men that are in this room? Uh, for all intents and purposes, we can really say they were cowering in this room. They had the door locked. They were clearly afraid of, of being judged and being punished for something. And these are the men who had given their lives, they had given up their livelihoods, whether they were tax collectors or fishermen, whatever, had given up their livelihoods to follow this man because they believed who he was. Yet it's interesting if you go through the book of Matthew, you go through the book of Luke, Mark, when Jesus, whenever Jesus told them that he was going to have to be um, unjustly judged, that he would be crucified horribly killed and buried, and then on the third day arise from the grave, it said they didn't understand him. Even up to the, pretty much to the end, almost to, to um, the week of his uh, death, burial, and resurrection, it said they had a hard time really grasping all this. So here it is, the third day, they haven't seen him, even though even though um, John, the, the beloved of Christ, and Peter have gone to the grave, they've seen that it's empty, they still are crestfallen, really, until Mary Magdalene comes back and says that she has seen the risen Christ. Not until then. So think about yourself. I guess that's where I'm really going with this uh, at this moment, is to think about yourself if you have any questions about your relationship with Jesus? Um, are, are you really a Christian? Or if you are, why am I uh, not not uh, so in, uh, engrossed in the scriptures and wanting to learn more and more about him that I still have questions? Just remember, the day of his resurrection, the men who knew him the best, who knew him well, were questioning themselves. And not until they saw him in his glorified body. And we've already been over that in John chapter 20 and some other verses, Luke 24 and a number of those verses. Um, and in 1 Corinthians 15 so far, in our study at point five, these people had to see him. Because remember it says that Jews require miraculous signs, but what do we live by? We live by faith. So in going over these scriptures with you here, trying to make the point that other people have, according to God's holy word, the truth of God's word, other people saw him before his death, burial, and resurrection, and, and most importantly, after his death, burial, and resurrection. 
and that we can rely on the truth of that scripture to have faith that he is alive, that he is the risen Christ, that he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and that therefore all the other scriptures that we talk about here in um, exploring Bible prophecy, all of these prophecies that uh, have yet to take place will unfold exactly as they were prophesied. How do we know? Because all the prophecies before that were prophesied that have already come true came true exactly as they were prophesied in time, in place, in detail. So it should be a, um, a, a faith passage for you as we read these, these accounts of these men who question Jesus, those that walk with him question him, yet now they see him because they're able to touch him, they're able to hear him, and they're able to see him eat to prove that he's not a ghost, that he's not some sort of apparition before them. So in John chapter 20, verses uh, 26 to um, uh, 26 to 29, after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and the footnote says that means locked and stood in their midst, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger, and see my hands, and reach here with your hand, and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. So this is where we get the term doubting Thomas from. Doubting Thomas because he had to see Jesus. He had to put his fingers in his side and to see his wombs, his hands and his feet and perhaps the the marks on his forehead from the crown of thorns that because you have seen me, you have believed. It reminds me back with Mary and Martha and Jesus And Jesus telling Martha, if you believe, Martha, you will see the glory of God. And that's exactly what we're seeing here because they have the Holy Spirit. They have the spiritual eyes and the spiritual ears to comprehend Scripture that the world today cannot believe. We now want to answer a question from a listener. So we'll pick up this series at point number five in John chapter 20 next time. So this listener uh, is from Jonesboro, and their question is, who are the 144,000 bond servants sealed in the tribulation? The 144,000 bond servants sealed by God that uh, you ask about are referenced in Revelation 7 and again in Revelation 14. So let's go ahead and turn to Revelation 7 so that we uh, can get into that particular passage in just a moment here. The the literal interpretation of the passage in Revelation 7 teaches that the 144,000 bondservants are Jewish men, or what are called sons of Israel from the 12 tribes. So let's go ahead and read that uh, and uh, see exactly what John the Revelator is telling us through the leading of the Holy Spirit. It says in Revelation 7, starting at verse 3, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees 
until we, and it's speaking about the angels uh, in the above verses, uh, verses 1 and 2, until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. Verse 4, and I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And you have 12,000 from Judah, from Reuben, from Gad, from Asher, from Naphtali, from Manasseh, from Simeon, from Levi, from Issachar, from Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. So you have the 12 tribes listed here, and you have 12,000 from each of those tribes. And the, the point here is that, I mean, how else can you interpret this if you look at it literally? It doesn't say like, which would make you think that we're looking at an allegory here. It is saying that it is 12,000 times 12, 144,000, and they are from the 12 tribes of Israel. And I, an interesting side note here about these 12 tribes Normally, when you're looking at uh, tribes that in several places where they're listed together in the Bible, uh, you will find uh, the names of Dan and Ephraim. But when you look at these uh, that are represented by the 144,000, you find that Dan and Ephraim are not there and that the original tribe of Levi, which ended up being the priests, and the Levites were in each of the other 12 tribes from that point on, the tribe of Levi is brought back. And also we find Joseph. And of course, when uh, Joseph was uh, in the beginning way back in Genesis, and we see Joseph as one of the 12 tribes now. So we're, we're again, we're taught in verse 3 that the 144,000 are bond servants. And a bondservant is, is basically someone who is used by God, used by Jesus to advance uh, a cause from the Bible. So basically messengers, if you will, workers, servants. And we're also taught that they're all sealed on the forehead with what we see in verse 2 is the seal of the living God. And it's an interesting side note here that in Revelation 13, 16, let's go there real quick just to see that. In Revelation 13, 16, it says, and he causes all, he, the Antichrist, causes all the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. So here we see the old counterfeiter himself, Satan, trying to act like God. And he's, try, he's causing all the people who dwell on the earth to take his mark, the mark of the beast on their forehead. And of course, we know that tribulation saints are believers uh, living during the tribulation at, at the midpoint when this is required by the Antichrist to have the mark, they refuse to take it. And they become what are called the tribulation saints or part of the tribulation saints. So here's Satan trying to counterfeit God. All right, and uh, that's Revelation 7, and then we see the 144,000 again in Revelation 14. So let's um, go to Revelation 14. In Revelation 14, starting at verse 1, Then I looked, and behold, 
the Lamb, Jesus, was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of the harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And no lie was found in their mouth. They were blameless. So we see a, a, a pretty uh, distinctive description of who these 144,000 people are. They're the ones that are being taught a new song in heaven. And we know that they're in heaven, the, the Mount Zion, because the uh, temple on the earth, um, the Spirit of God is not in that temple on the earth, the third temple in Jerusalem, because it was built in unbelief. And at the midpoint, when this occurs, the Antichrist is standing in that temple. So we know that these are those that were purchased from the earth, as we read in verse 3, purchased from the earth. So they're in heaven. They've been raptured up, having fulfilled their testimony on the earth as uh, evangelists, if you will. So we know that they are... Um, not been defiled with women, so they are pure virgins, if you will. They have kept themselves chaste. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes, so they're professing Jesus Christ. And they are purchased from among men as the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. So during that tribulation period, they are, if you will, a, a righteous, pure remnant of Jews. And God, of course, says there's always a remnant of believing Jews at any time in history. So here we see an example of that during the tribulation. And at the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation, we learn that the 144,000 are raptured to heaven. We also learn that the two witnesses sent by God to evangelize in Jerusalem are raptured at the midpoint about the same time. We see that in Revelation 11:12. So the question you really have is, how do the remainder of the people living on the earth in the second half of the tribulation hear the gospel if all of these righteous uh, evangelistic Jews are gone? Well, Revelation 14.6 teaches that after the 144,000 and the two witnesses are gone at the midpoint, an angel flying in mid-heaven is preaching the, the eternal gospel to the entire world until the second coming of Jesus to the earth. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll see you in the air. Thank you for joining us on today's Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.